Well, great to see you this weekend, and I am very, very excited about the message I'm going to share with you today. Now, I want to say something before I get in the message, and I want you to think about this afterwards. All right. Now, the reason that I am giving this message may seem self-serving, but this is not something that the church wants from you. This is something that we want for you. This is, this is for your benefit. Now, we're talking about the kingdom of God, Jesus' message. First, everything in between, and his last. When Jesus came, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, or rethink your life, because God's kingdom is here. Now, in Jesus' greatest message, the Sermon on the Mount, he makes this statement in Matthew 5, verse 16. He said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So what Jesus is saying is that when people look at your life, it's going to be different than their life. And they're going to see that what you do, and because they look at your life and see the things that you do, they're going to glorify your Father in heaven. They're going to see the good works that you do. Now, you know this, you don't get saved by doing good works, but you get saved to do good works. They don't save you, but once you get saved, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be doing those good works. And he's saying here that because of your relationship with the Father, in fact, it says this way in Romans, it says the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, please lift your hand. Very good. If you're not, we're so glad you're here. Check it out. You want to you know for sure, this is what you want to get in, that, that what Jesus said, that it's the truth. But G, the, the Bible says if you're a Christian, that God's love, it's been shed abroad in your heart. Right? It's there. Unfortunately, for some Christians, they have it in prison. They're not letting it out. But the Bible says to work out your salvation. In other words, what you've got on the inside, you've got to get it to the outside. Christianity is not just an inside job. It's something that God does inside, but then it's supposed to be manifested on the outside. In our criminal justice system, if, if, the police, if a policeman pulls someone over and finds them with a small quantity of drugs, they are arrested for possession. However, if they are found with a large quantity they are arrested for possession with intent to distribute. Now, there's a lot of Christians that they've just got enough that they could be charged maybe with possession. But what God wants is he, disciples, disciples of Christ should not simply be able to be charged with possession. Right? You need to be able to be charged with possession with intent to distribute. Right? What you've got on the inside is not just for you. It needs to be going on the outside. It needs to affect the culture and the society, the people that are around you. Uh, Tim Elmore, who spoke here last year, wrote a, a series of books on, on what he calls them the Habitudes. And I want to read just a little portion out of this uh, as we begin this morning. It says, while attending a university in London years ago, one young man became interested in the Christian faith. Upon his graduation, he was almost convinced to become 
a Christian, but he was seeking more evidence that the faith was practical and true. He accepted employment in East Africa, and for several months he lived with a Christian family. As soon as he discovered they were followers of Christ, he decided their home would be the ideal testing ground for the evidence that he sought. Unfortunately, as the months passed, he saw nothing to attract him. The family was apathetic towards him and their faith. They didn't reach out to him or to others. They were casual about their commitment in general. In fact, they complained about any sacrifice they had to make on behalf of others. They never connected with him. Consequently, this student's interest in God turned to disappointment, and he left his pursuit of Christ and Christianity, went a different direction, moved back to India. He eventually led a revolution. The young man's name was Mahatma Gandhi. The family in East Africa had no idea who that young man would become. See, and so often we have no idea who it is, that, that person whose life that we could touch. You know, they, they, may have had, they may have possessed, had some possession when it came to Christianity, but they did not have any intent to distribute. And what God wants in our life is not that we just have possession. He wants that there be intent to distribute. As it's been said, you cannot do a kindness too soon. <clears throat> for you never know how soon it will be too late. You never know the impact that your life can make when you're living with intent to distribute. Christianity should never just be about prayers and sermons and creeds. It needs to be something that affects our everyday life and our relationship with others. In Romans, Romans in Acts chapter 10, uh, there, there's, there's a scripture here that, that for years I, I misquoted. And here's what it actually says. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good. And, and there's just one little word here that I, I skipped for years, which says, and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For years, I, I would quote it and say, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. But there's actually an and there and healing all who the press of the devil, for God was with him. In other words, there were two different distinct ministries that Jesus had. One was a spiritual ministry where he was ministering spiritually to oppressed people, whether they were there as oppressed physically, psychologically, spiritually, he was ministering to them. <coughs> Excuse me. But the other ministry that he had, he went about doing good. Gr Rick Renner, uh, who's going to be here next month, by the way, to speak. Tremendous, tremendous uh, Greek scholar. In uh, one of his Sparkling Gems books, Sparkling Gems from the Greek, he makes mention of that, that doing good in Acts 10, 38. And he said that, in the, that that Greek word can only be translated to denote a benefactor, a philanthropist, one who financially supports charitable works or a person who uses his financial resources to meet the needs of the disadvantaged people. This word was used only to portray the provision of food, clothes, some other commodity to meet the physical and material needs. And so what it's saying about Jesus, not only did he minister in a spiritual way to people, but he met people's physical, tangible needs, such as food, clothes, money, 
You know, there, how many of you know there's all sorts of different ways that we can minister to people? Not just with a prayer. Right? You can clean their house. You can give them an encouraging word. But you, you could give a financial gift to a, to a single mother. Food, clothes. But those are things that Jesus was talking about when he was talking about doing the good works that people would see and glorify your Father in heaven. There's the spiritual side, but there is also the natural side. Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So seeking first the kingdom is the only way the kingdom will function in our life. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, the Bible says, because Jesus died, paid for your sins, and rose again, and because he is now the Lord of your life, you should no longer live for yourself, but you should live for him who died and rose again for you. <coughs> so... When you look at your life, are you living it for yourself or are you living it for him? In the last couple of weeks, I, I went and heard David Barton speak. He was here in, in Grand Rapids and got an invitation to open the event with prayer. And so I went on and I'd, I'd drive 100 miles to hear David Barton any time. Well, in part of his talk, he was talking about our criminal justice code. And he said, if, if you were to take and read 100 pages a day of the U.S. Criminal Justice Code, he said, uh, he told us how long it would take to read it. Now, I, I want you to, how long do you think it would take? If you 100 pages every day. And by the way, you are responsible for every one of those, those, uh, th those laws. You're responsible for them. And if you were to read 100 pages a day, it would take you 25,000 years to read the criminal justice code. But you're responsible for every one of them. And so somebody has written a book entitled Three Felonies a Day because the average American commits three felonies every day and doesn't even know it. I mention that because Jesus boils everything down to two. Right? Just two. What's happened is there's, there's this lawyer, this scribe, and he's coming to Jesus and he's wanting to know what's the greatest commandment uh, in Matthew, Luke gives us more of the conversation where he says he wanted to know, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him the commandment. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. In uh, one of the other gospels, again, where the conversation is fuller, he says the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many commandments? Just two. Love God, love people. But what's interesting is in, in uh, Luke's gospel, the guy says, well, well who's my neighbor? Which you see, he's trying to justify himself. And so Jesus tells him a story. And he said to him, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. 
priest happened down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. Now they were on their way to church. They didn't have time. But a Samaritan. Now the, the Jews and the Samaritans, that they hated each other. There was, there was no more prejudice ever on earth than there was between the Jews and the Samaritans. But Jesus says, as a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured in the oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarius. Now, a denarius was the pay for a day of 12 hours of labor. And he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. He says, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He wouldn't even mention that he was a Samaritan. Now, here's what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us the way that you love God is by loving people. The way you love God is by loving people. And there's really, there's three types of people in, in this little, little story. There's the robbers and their basic philosophy is what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine if I can get it from you. There's the religious people and their philosophy is what's mine's mine and I ain't helping nobody with nothing. And then there's Samaritan and his philosophy is whatever I've got, it's yours if you need it. It's yours if you need it. He's willing to share. He's willing to help. He's willing to be inconvenienced. He's willing to, to give. He's willing to have it cost something. Now, I think it's interesting that David said this. He said, I will never sacrifice to the Lord my God something that costs me nothing. Do you know that your faith is supposed to cost you something? It's going to inconvenience you. It's going to cost of your time and your energy. It's going to cost of your resources. It should cost you something. It should cost you something. So we love God by loving others, by helping, by caring, by sacrificing, by giving, by being inconvenienced. So I want to ask a few questions this morning before we keep going. What have you given to God financially that was a sacrifice to you? That was a sacrifice, that you really missed it? Just think about it. Don't need, to, don't, don't need to raise your hand here. What does your giving show about your commitment to God? Does it show that you trust God? Does it show that you're thankful to God? Does it show that you love his kingdom? That you love others? That you want to see the gospel spread? What, next question, what do you do with your time? Do you just dedicate all of your time to yourself, to your desires, to your end, where there's no sacrifice, where there's no inconvenience? What do you do to dedicate your time to God? 
Now, unfortunately, a lot of us as Christians, when, when there's a special need, we'll, we'll say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll help, I'll help. But what ends up happening is on certain occasions, sporadically, we'll do something. But sporadic is never God's intent. God's intent is that we put it in our, how many of you know when you put it in your schedule, it happens? In fact, let me do it like this. This morning, we could not have church unless we had five or 600 volunteers. People are running sound, they're running cameras, they're out in the parking lot, there's people back in the nursery, back in the children's church, there's people all over, and they scheduled time to come and to serve. Now, if they had just come when it was convenient, how many know we would be in big trouble? If, if, if it was just like, well, it's a nice day today, I think I'll go golfing, I think I'll go to the beach, I think I'll take a bike ride, I think I'll do this, I think I'll do that. Let me just say this, disciples of Christ do inconvenient things at inconvenient times. They do inconvenient things at inconvenient times. It's not just when it's convenient, it's even when it's inconvenient. So with our time, are we just serving our, ourselves, our pleasures, our family, or do we put the kingdom of God first? Hebrews 10, verse 25, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner or custom of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now I feel a little bit like I'm preaching to the choir. I mean, it's, it, it's like the, the, the first weekend of summer in Michigan and you're in church. But you know what? That's where we should be. It says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, especially as we get closer to the time of the Lord's return. So, question, what do you do to serve others? In church? Do you, do you, do you help at a homeless shelter? Or is it just sporadic? Is it prioritized? Is it in your schedule? Because it needs to be in your schedule. Now, when you pray, if God answered all of your prayers, what would change? God answered all your prayers. Is the only thing that would change your economic situation, your family situation, or, or would your community change? Would your church change? Would your nation change? Would the world change? If God answered every one of your prayers, I'm going to be very honest. If God answers most people's prayers, most Christians' prayers, the only thing that would change would be their life and their family. And that's not right. That's not right. For God so loved the world. The world. Now, what have you done to endure hardship, inconvenience for the kingdom of God? The Bible says, therefore, you must endure hardship, inconvenience as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. For most of us, our Christianity is a consumer Christianity. It's just about me. What can I get? What's in it for me? Well, I, I went and I heard him pray. I didn't get a thing out of it. Well, maybe you weren't supposed to. Maybe you were supposed to come and serve. Is it just about you? Are you enduring hardship? Are you enduring inconvenience? Uh, what, 
as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Or are you simply a consumer? You just have possession and it's possession for you, but there's no possession with intent to distribute. It, it needs to go beyond that. What have you sacrificed to serve God in time, money, your, 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 your skills, your labor? Are you willing to forfeit some entertainment, some sporting, sporting events, a vacation? Are you willing to be inconvenienced for the kingdom of God? You should be. You should be. Now, uh, in the early church, the first century church, I think we know this, it was widespread persecution. Many, in fact, millions of Christians ended up giving their lives, some in Colosseums, being eaten by wild animals. And uh, there's actually a first century Christian song that is in the New Testament. Now, if you read the New Testament and, and someone didn't tell you it was a song, you'd probably just read right over it. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul begins by saying, this is a faithful saying. Now, this is actually a Christian hymn from the first century. If we die with him, we'll also live with him. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, and this is endure hardship, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now, many of them stood before a tribunal and they said, deny Christ and you can live. You confess Christ and you're going into the Colosseum. That's one of their songs. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. If we're faithless, he'll remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. I want you to notice that they're talking about dying to self, about enduring hardship for the Christian faith. And today, so often, Christianity has just become something that we consume that is for our convenience, but there is no cost to it. I always want to say that that's not New Testament Christianity. It says, if we die with him, lay down our life. In fact, Jesus said, if you lose your life, he says, you'll find it. But if you keep it, you'll lose it. One modern paraphrase, he says, leave your low life and come to the high life. He's got the high life for us. So what do you do to sacrifice and be obedient of your time, of your money? Uh, what, what do you do that inconveniences you? What do you not do because you're prioritizing the kingdom of God? Do you jeopardize your comfort and pleasure by making a commitment to do something and not just be spontaneous and do something once in a while? The good Samaritan, he was inconvenienced. He gave of his time, his energy, of his money, of his donkey. He gave, he gave and gave and said, and if there's more that needs to be spent, that you spend, let me know. What does your lifestyle reveal about your priorities? Is your life dedicated to him or is your life dedicated to yourself? Are you sacrificing of your time, your energy, your comfort? Are you literally sacrificing in some entertainment, some pleasure in order to obey, in order to obey? Now, 
The thing that so often people do is they say, you know, I just don't qualify. I don't qualify. Why don't you think about this? God comes to Moses. Moses is out on the desert. He's watching over a flock of sheep and he, he sees a bush and it's burning, but the bush isn't consumed and he approaches the bush and a voice comes from the bush. He says, look, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the place where you are. It's holy ground. Take off your sandals. And he takes off his sandals and God says, look, I've seen the children of Israel that they're oppressed and I've heard their prayers and I've come down to rescue them. Therefore, I am sending you. I'm sending you. Now, now you realize whatever God is going to do in the earth, he's going to use somebody. God, God is going to use somebody to do it. And this Moses is like most of us. He listened to God, and this is what he said. God, that is an excellent plan, and you should do that, and you should send anybody except me. That's exactly what Moses said. He said, God, great plan. You should do it. Send anybody but me. And then he begins to tell him why he is disqualified. And by the way, God was not too happy about it. Remember that? God was not too happy. Now, 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 here's why. Because God is not really interested in all your abilities. You see, what God wants is God wants to use you because you are a mess. And the reason he uses messes is because then he gets the glory. The Bible says there's not many wise, not many rich, not many noble. But God uses the weak things of the world. Hello? God uses the base things of the world to confound the wise. God's not choosing us because we've got it. He's choosing us because we don't. And he's saying, look, I'm going to put my grace on you. And when my grace shows up, everybody's going to know that ain't them. That ain't them. You know, when my mama was alive, you know what she said to me? That ain't you. That ain't you. Uh-huh. You know, there's, there, there, there's a story I've both heard and I've read this story, but, and I, I don't know if it's true, but it sure illustrates the point. There is, there's a, a farmer, and he, he buys a farm, and it is the most run-down place in the county. It is just terrible condition. Weeds everywhere, fences falling apart, barn boards falling off, holes in the roof. And he spends years, and he is working on this place. He mends the fences. He takes the fields. He gets them beautiful. He goes, fixes up the barn. He fixes up the roof on the barn. He fixes that place up. I mean, it is, it is primo. It becomes the sharpest property in the county. And the pastor comes over, and he looks everything over, and he says, Farmer John, he says, God sure has given you a beautiful farm. And Farmer John said, yep. But you should have seen it when he had it all to himself. <laughs> now, now, listen, listen. He, he wasn't putting God down. What he was saying is God uses people. God uses people. And the things that you do, they may not seem like super spiritual things to you. But God uses people. And he takes his supernatural and puts it on our natural, and he blesses people. 
Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's own handiwork, recreated in Christ Jesus, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand. Taking paths he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So listen, every Christian, God has prepared good works for you to do. And he's got paths all ready for you to go in. My question is, are you doing them? Are you taking the paths? Or are you simply living for yourself? And you say, I, I just don't know what to do. I want to help you. And I'm going to say this again right now. This message might seem self-serving, but this is not something I want for me or even for the church. This is something we want for you. For you. Now, the will of God is like a bicycle. When you get it moving, you can steer it. But while it's standing still, you can't steer it. So what that means in practical, very practical terms is, if you say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, just find something and start doing it. You find something and you start doing it because you love God and you love people. And what will happen when you start doing something is God will start steering you. He'll get you right where he wants you to be. You don't sit back in a rocking chair and wait. You just sit there and you just keep on rocking. And nothing is going to happen. But notice what the verse says. It says, living the good life. Living the good. Here's what people think. If I ever give myself to God and do what God wants me to do, my life is going to be miserable. Let me tell you something. The exact opposite is the truth. There will be nothing that will give you more joy and more fulfillment than doing what you were created to do. Anytime, look, listen, it doesn't matter what it is. It's the creator that understands its purpose. And when you don't understand the purpose that something was created for, every time you abuse it, every time. One of our grandchildren thought that Jeannie's iPhone was created to be submerged in a toilet. When you don't know what the purpose of something is, you will abuse it. Now listen, as born-again Christians, God created us to do good works. To do good works. I'm going to just jump ahead a second. So often what we think is we think that Christianity is about what you believe. And that is... A, 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 a half of a truth, only a half, because Christianity is like a coin. If I had a quarter here, and I could show you the quarter, I probably will have one in a couple weeks. One side, you got an eagle. Other side, dead president. The, the Treasury Department says that that coin is only legal tender if both sides are intact. If the, if the eagle is marred, it's not legal tender. If the president is marred, it's not legal tender. See, that's a picture, really, to me, of Christianity. Christianity has two parts. What you believe is one part, 
what you do with what you believe is the other part. And your Christianity is not legal tender. It does not function. It doesn't work. It's not right unless you believe right and you do the right. You do the right. And what's the do the right? You were created to do good works. You were saved from sin, but you were saved to good works. Those works don't save you. They don't save you. But because you've been saved, because the love of God's been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit, we give ourselves to loving God by loving people. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? You know, that love of God, for God so loved the world, it is so great that nothing, nothing can stop that love. Nothing that you have done is greater than God's love and the forgiveness that he wants to give you. No life so dark, no valley so low, no sin so shocking, no attitude so bad, no sex so perverted, no relationship so appalling, no pit so deep, no addiction so dreadful, no life so empty that the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse and make you whole. What God wants to do is he wants to forgive and make you new. And our God specializes in the impossibilities. And if you're here today and you're not right with God, this is your day to come home, to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And in our Father's house, there's room for you. And I want to pray with you today, if you're away from God, a prayer of forgiveness and surrender to God. And I'm going to count to three. When I say three, if you're here and you say, I want to be forgiven and I want to surrender my life to Jesus today, I want you to lift your hand. I'm three. When I say three, your hand goes up. As you lift your hand, you're saying, first of all, I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One. You're saying, I'm coming to Jesus today and I'm giving him all of my heart and all of my life and I'm holding nothing back. Two. Now, as you lift that hand, you're saying, I'm coming today to be forgiven, to surrender my life. Jesus is going to be my Lord. I'm going to live for him every day. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to forgive me, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your kingdom, on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Pray with me. I'm not right. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others in balcony? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Others, thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Someone else, thank you right here. God bless you. Who else? Include me, Pastor. Include me. All right. Now, would everyone please stand, but nobody moving unless it's absolutely necessary. If you lifted your hand, would you please look right at me? Would you move to the aisle that's nearest you, wherever that is? 
bring the person that you came with, bring whatever you brought, but make your way right down here. God is going to meet us right here. We're going to pray. And when we say amen, your past, it is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. This is your day. From the balcony, if you will make your way down, we're going to wait for you. Come on down. This, this is going to change your life forever and ever. Most important decision anyone can ever make. Sir, thank you. I saw that hand. Awesome. I'm moving. Awesome. Awesome. God bless you. I know there's some more. Come on down. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. This is what it says. It says, whosoever, that means you. That means you. That means you. Those coming from the balcony, that means you and you and you and you and you and you. We'll call on the name of the Lord. And we are going to call on his name the way that the Bible shows us to. And this is the promise that comes with this verse. We'll be saved. So when we say amen in just a moment, your past is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be a part of our family. Welcome in. Welcome, welcome. Right? And your life is not going to be the same. Right? Would everyone please take one hand? Place it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven and let's pray with these. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That my past is gone. That I'm a part of your kingdom. Today and forever, in Jesus' name, amen.